millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's the Round Ball Rock Podcast. Starring Dave Schilling, Michael Milken, Ivan Boski, Joey Devine, Michael DeGuffman, Richard Whitney, Bernard Evers, Sean Keen, Bernie Madoff. Patreons, Silky Johnson, thank you Silky, Max Stanley Williams, thank you Max, musical guest, new riders of the Purple Sage, and now the temporary host of Round Ball Rock, Joey Devine. Hi, it's me, Joey Devine, your temporary host of the Round Ball Rock podcast, and we are back with a brand new episode. That, I'm going to say, is a big one, Sean, wouldn't you? Oh, it's a big one. That, (laughs) of course, is full-time permanent co-host of the podcast, Sean Keen. Um, Sean, how are you today? I'm good, doing well. Um, Before we get to our guest... And um, the return of a a fan favorite feature, uh, I just want to say, shoot us an email at uh, roundrockpod at gmail.com or tweet us at us at roundrockpod. Patreon.com slash roundrockpod is, of course, our Patreon if you feel like supporting us that way. You can also support us non-monetarily by... uh, just giving us five star reviews. It's weird they only let you give five star reviews on iTunes, but it's true. Mm-hmm. They only let you give five star reviews on iTunes. Um, it's crazy, but it's true. Um, as for uh, look, things are hard right now. We've been talking about it a lot. Um, so I have picked a um, 
uh, a new charity for us to encourage people to donate to that we- this week. That is, of course, Sela uh, S E L A H, which uh, works with homeless communities, uh, and we would especially in Los Angeles, excuse me, and uh, you can donate to them or just donate time or stuff uh, at selahnhc.org. Um, and if you don't want to do Los Angeles, find a uh, homeless outreach program in your city that isn't uh, fake or full of scumbags and donate to them. Um, Sean, we have a big guest this week. We we do. Yeah, this is, I would say, one of the uh, godfathers of NBA blogging, correct? Absolutely. It's it's interesting. We've, we've occasionally, I would say this is comparable to the first time we had Kelly Dwyer mm-hmm. on, where it almost freaks me out a little bit to be talking to somebody that I've been reading for, you know, more Half than your a life. decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're both big fans. Uh He's he's like all it's rare to to have like a basketball writer and you can say like oh this guy's a pioneer mm-hmm. this guy's a pioneer yeah we are of course ca- talking about Mister True Hoop himself Henry Abbott Henry on uh, TrueHoop.com this week uh, put out an extensive timeline of the Tillman Fertitta family history and uh-huh. we realized uh oh. We've got to do a Tillman time, and it actually has to be good this time. So we brought Henry in. Sean, it's Tillman time. It's Tillman time. That's right. Texas Tillman, Trump supporter, steakhouse man, and billionaire buyer. Houston Rockets motherfucker. Tillman time. How does Tillman describe himself? A motherfucker. <laughs> Tillman time. All right, it's it's a big one here. An extended Tillman time with one of my favorite basketball writers of all time. We have from True Hoop, Henry Abbott. Henry just wrote a giant piece on uh, the hi- the family history of. One of our podcast favorite guys, Tillman Fertitta. Uh, here he is, Henry Abbott. Henry, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing great. Uh, I've got to yeah. say, I've been learning a lot about the Galveston mob. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I sort of regret uh, starting a segment of a podcast where we solely make fun of uh, the fail son of the Galveston mob. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. I don't Yeah, no, it's a hell of a story. It really is. <laughs> I, I it's funny. I thought like, you know, you don't often hear these kinds of allegations, right? And when you do, you usually like as a reporter just it ends up being unreportable. I didn't know that everybody knew this except for me. I didn't know that like every issue of Texas Monthly apparently has a rundown of <laughs> the history of the Galveston mob and the Fertitta family. I didn't it's just like in and everyone from Houston and Galveston emailed me like, "Yeah, bro, we've known this for a hundred years. <laughs> and, and everyone outside of Galveston and Houston is like, oh my God, this is insane. So it's the weirdest secret non-secret I've ever encountered in my life. Yeah, we we mentioned it. We we have a recurring feature called Tillman Time. Which <laughs> is currently on. on. <laughs> <The excellent laughs> it's happening right now. Feels um, kind of now-ish, yeah. 
and I was I was shocked to learn about it, and I had the same impression. Like like I just saw someone make a reference to it, and I started looking it up, and it was just so open that it was like, yeah, you know, his his cousin uh, was skimming money off this uh, casino. Everyone knows that, and uh, it was incredible. Like I I thought I would I I said it almost jokingly, and then learning more about it, it was like, oh no, this is a a well known established mafia family, and uh, he's still in the same city throwing a giant. Tony Soprano style Cinco de Mayo party every year. And they made the movie Casino about it. Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> All right. So before we get deeper into your amazing article available on uh-huh. truehoop.com, let's talk about how uh, Sean and I started uh, talking about Please. Tillman. So I worked at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company for eight years. <laughs> And was there when Tillman Fertitta purchased it. And the first thing he did was uh, start charging us all $5 to for the right to have uh, an employee discount. Mm-hmm. It was a Wait, five. What? Yeah, it was a five dollar <laughs> charge a month. The discount upcharge. Yeah, exactly. Yes. He would charge us five dollars <laughs> a month to have an employee discount, which at the time. Uh, was infuriating, but now that I learn about that he's a member of the mafia, makes total sense. It's like a protection shakedown. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you are protecting your shift meal. Um, well, also, also, it's like this is it. It feels very Tillman for TV. It's a restaurant that's on the wharf. Mm-hmm. Um, Salvatore and Rosario Maceo. Is that how you say it? Maceo. I don't know. I think it's Maceo. Yeah, Maceo. that would be my guess. Okay. I don't know for sure. Maceo. But, <laughs> uh, but they had a fish company mm-hmm. uh, as one of their legitimate businesses, so it made a lot of sense. Um, well, I, somewhere I read um, that part of the business analysis here was that you can get a piece of salmon, the same piece of salmon that if you sell, try to sell it next to the freeway, you charge $8 for it, but if you're next to water, you can charge $20 yeah. for the same exact uh-huh. fish. Mm-hmm. So like a yeah. lot of his businesses are near the water, which was means one of the bond investors was like, he's incredibly vulnerable to climate change. Well, and oh, also, wow, yeah. if you connect that piece of salmon to an Academy Award winning movie starring Tom Hanks, you can charge, plus it's <laughs> next to water, <laughs> you can charge $35. <laughs> Um, uh, Joey, did you, did you always have to ask trivia questions about Forrest Gump at every table? Oh, yes. Yeah, we definitely had to do that. In fact, I would say that part loosened after Tillman took over. But what uh-huh. did, <laughs> what, what did, uh, they, the second thing he made us all start doing is selling, trying to sell our tables Landry's cards. Which are essentially casino player cards, but for Landry's own restaurants. <laughs> what do you mean? So, I don't, I'm confused. <laughs> like, I forget how much it was. It was like $20 or something. Oh. But you got, like, bonus points. It might have been free. I don't remember. But it was, like, bonus points that you could... If you went to Houston's and then the Rainforest Cafe, they would, uh-huh. like, give you you know, a suite at the Rainforest Cafe if you spend enough money. <laughs> um, the other thing he did is, so this was in San Francisco, and San Francisco at the time had uh, started 
they they were offering health care for anyone who worked in San Francisco. So most restaurants would just post like a little thing on their menu that was like, hey, this is 20% more because we're adding health care to uh, we have to pay health care for anyone who works in the city. But, but Tillman but generally it was like a dollar on each. Yeah, charge. it wasn't even that it wasn't much. even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, Tillman Fertitta was so infuriated by this, he actually threatened to close all of his restaurants in the city of San Francisco because he said he couldn't charge people more, even though it cost nothing. It was basically a tax that the diner was paying. It cost him nothing. But he's just so against uh, poor people getting health care. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> that it infuriated him. So when he bought the Rockets, uh, so I, this was, this predates him buying the Rockets by like seven years. And I had determined this man was my lifelong enemy. <laughs> and then I had a basketball co- podcast and he bought the Houston Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> he had a coming, basically. Exactly. Yeah. He pissed off the wrong yeah, guy. It's a person. It's, it, this is about revenge for me, not morals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's very mafia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your whole that you have a you have a life grudge against him. Yeah. So let's talk with you, Henry, about where you started with the Tillman Fertitta thing. Like you said, it was an open secret that only you didn't know that he's a fourth generation mafia man. Um. Where did you first hear said open secret? Well, not I don't want you to burn any sources or anything, but how did you, I guess, how did you start digging into the Fertitta uh, family? Well, so I had written some stuff about other owners, right? Mm-hmm. I wrote this big Prokhorov series, and um, so I had and a few other things. I, I had kind of a reputation as like a, anti-owner guy mm-hmm. i don't feel anti-owner i feel like we should report on owners like yes, we do on absolutely. players stuff. but um <laughs> but uh so somebody somehow that that gets you on the phone with like a friend of people who want to wax poetic about this or that but i ended up on the phone with like some guy casually used the phrase um fourth generation member of a mafia family um i just it's he said it very casually as if like it wasn't a weird thing to say but I was, of course, stopped dead in my tracks by this. Uh, <laughs> it just wasn't what <laughs> right. I was expecting. So I was like, wait, what? And he's uh, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look it up. Like that kind of thing. So I did what any good aggressive reporter would do, which is I just sat on it for like six months and just forgot to do anything about it. And then at some point I was like, you know, I should look that up. And like if you look at the article, I didn't really write anything. I just, <laughs> I just researched on newspapers.com. And these are just the things like if you have a subscription to Texas Monthly, you know all of this. Like it's been reported again and again and again, including earlier this year in Texas Monthly. Mm-hmm. Just all of this incredible family history. And just to be super clear, like I didn't I didn't come across anyone saying, you know, maybe you did, but I saying that Tillman Fertitta is currently a mobster. No, we um, just say that because yeah, we, no, uh, we, yeah. we have death wishes. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> I mean, I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but we, I mean, basically, it's just that he it, – it is interesting that somebody who is a completely legitimate businessman who intentionally tries to work, uh, again, on the waterfront all mm-hmm. the time and has also entered the casino business mm-hmm. – uh, that there's nothing at all to do 
with coming from a family that used to operate illegal casinos in Galveston, yeah. Texas. I guess I it should just, just make like it. Want... Go ahead. No, go ahead. You go. Uh, I was just, I just want to make it clear when we say he's in the mafia, we're of course talking about the CNBC mafia uh-huh. led by Lou Dobbs and Jim Cramer. <laughs> uh, I thought you guys meant like the mafia yeah, mafia. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Inarguable. Inarguable. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I don't, it seems to me also, like, one thing I've, I've been reflecting on Tillman Fertitta somewhat, as I'm, say, gardening or taking my dog for a walk, and um, this is a weird thing to think about, but I know you I know you know what I'm talking about, but um, one of the things is, like, okay, let's say he's clean. Let's say that mm-hmm. he's from this family, no one can help where they were born, and he just now runs a stage of steakhouses and shrimp companies and whatever, and uh, wouldn't it make sense to just repudiate the mob, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, wouldn't you just do the most incredible job of saying like, I was so pissed at my uncle, cousin, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, never wanted to do that. And this is why I signed this decree here on this day in Houston or whatever. But there's been, there's nothing like that. I haven't seen anything like that. No, Actually, and it, yeah, it, it feels like instead he's buying up tons of property in his family's old mafia stronghold mm-hmm. and trying very hard to get gambling uh, there. And giving tons of money to the police. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, really a lot of money to the police. A lot of money to the police. And, um, you know, and, and I don't know. Like, I don't know what to make of that. Like, I, 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 I heard about that, actually, long before I heard about his family history. And I was like, oh, that's weird, I guess. Like, I, I think Mark Cuban gives as much money to the police, too. I, I'm not, it doesn't necessarily ring an alarm bell for me. Well, he's in the broadcast.com mafia, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would mean yeah that makes sense Um, but uh but yeah but then but then you know going back and reading i wonder if i can find this um hold on i'm going to uh cite an actual source all right i'll get a joke off real quick this might be the first time on this podcast by the way (laughs) (laughs) thinking thinking about mark cuban uh giving a lot of money to the police makes me think oh yeah i guess the i guess shark tank sort of is like the mafia where they're like, yeah, I'll give you this money for 20% of the, your business for the rest of your life. <laughs> you got to yeah. take this off or right now we'll leave it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, here's the deal. Uh, now I'm reading from uh, Gary Cartwright in Texas Monthly. And he's saying that basically this is now talking about 100 years ago. Um, Walter Johnston, the longtime police commissioner, bragged he was on the payroll of 46 whorehouses. This is all in Galveston. Mm-hmm. Frank Biondi, who was the sheriff of Galveston from 33 to 57, explained to state investigative committee that the reason he had never raided the Balinese was because it was a private club and he was a member. Occasionally, the Texas Rangers, in those days effectively the governor's private police force, swept down from the mainland and smashed a few slot machines. But not one of Maceo's clubs was ever closed for long. The skinny was that the family had close contacts in the governor's office by which they were warned of approaching trouble. Gambling paraphernalia at the Walnese was designed to convert into billiard and bridge tables so that by the time the Rangers arrived, all they found were some well-dressed patrons playing bridge and sipping soft drinks. That that seems so cartoonish to America me. America was that so cool. Like an alarm what a cool up. country. <laughs> <laughs> just them turning the tables over and like, nope, just playing billiards here. <laughs> you have to do it in a voice, right? They can't possibly have spoken <laughs> in normal voices. <laughs> the Rangers are right. Heck no! Like, you know, yeah. 
Um, so, <laughs> excuse me. Sean, you wrote a little outline here for us to go over. Uh, yeah, wanna, this is... Uh, yeah, why don't you, wa- you and Henry walk us through uh, some of the things that stuck out to you? So I was I was impressed, and this seems like something that Tillman would normally brag about, that uh, Galveston had the most prostitutes per capita in the world. <laughs> and that seems like a stat that would maybe come up on Billionaire Buyer. Uh, Do you remember so, the number? One hooker for how many Galveston residents? It was something like one for 61, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Here it is. Chicago was only one for every 430. Paris, a joke, at four, one to 481. And uh, yeah, Shanghai, one to 130. So yeah, Galveston. Wow. The worldwide capital. Um, so, so the original guys are um, there. There's not a Fertitta until it's. I think his grandmother marries one of the guys. Is that? Let me look at the family tree real it's, quick. It's <laughs> pretty. Yeah, there's it's, like for sure like the early days of Galveston mob, as discussed in Texas Monthly, and there's was uh-huh. primarily Maceos. That's right, and then um, which are not in this family tree. But one of the Maceos married his great grandfather, Joseph mm-hmm. Francis Fertitta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, but then all of these, like uh, many of the next generation were integrated into the Maceos of running Galveston. And then when the Maceos got busted by the Rangers, the Fertitas took over. But I think it wasn't as lucrative anymore. And then some of them moved to Vegas. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And, and basically, everyone who's a Frank Jr. Or a Frank the Third, or Frank Three Sticks for yes. Kita. Yeah, uh, those guys are all involved in some level of casino operation. Like I'm, I'm not totally sure how rich you have to be to be able to start and operate a casino in an above the board way. Because <laughs> there's there's Frank. Um, this is Frank. Frank Fertitta Jr. Um, the, the legend is he works his way up, uh, from being a pit boss and working, I mean, I guess something being a dealer before that and opens a casino on the strip, which I guess is designed for, um, casino employees. So it was like a little bit off the strip in the desert, but it is was, this the uh, palace station. This is the is palace that, that's station. Frank? Yeah. Well, you know, Sean, the, the big claim to fame for the palace station, right? Uh, what is that? That's where OJ got arrested for uh, kidnapping those memorabilia guys. Oh, that was at the palace station. station. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. That's so <laughs> yeah. cool. The other thing about the palace station is uh, weirdly, there's a restaurant in the palace station. I don't know what they do, but it's like David Chang's favorite place to eat in Las Vegas. It, they do like a weird it's it's like a some kind of asian oyster thing because they catered to dj to the the dealers and stuff so it's like vietnamese food or something like that oh oh that makes sense okay yeah yeah and i guess the idea is that yeah they they basically not very profitable to have to be bribing everybody and having illegal gambling when there's a giant city with legal gambling starting in, you know, <laughs> the 50s, basically. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're dealers and everybody leaves. But before that, they basically are 
running these casinos, running whorehouses, bootlegging, and then they have a vigilante group called Rose's Night Riders. Oh, God. Uh, I'm sure so they I weren't guess, racist I mean, at all. Well, and there's a little whisper of slavery. Galveston was uh-huh. a slavery yeah, court. Yeah. And uh, I didn't connect to the Fertitas directly that I could see, but like the, the three families that ran the island before the Maceos and Fertitas were definitely involved in like cotton and banking. And um, and this is where Juneteenth happened was in Galveston because All that right. was where you would go. Like that's the boat sailed up there to say, hey, we're stopping slavery. Yeah, a lot of slavery adjacent businesses. Yeah. Um so yeah, the one the one that was I mean that and so yeah, the Fertitas take over and the I I get the argument that this, you know, what happened in the 1920s or the 1930s that doesn't necessarily affect what's happening now, but uh the Frank Fertitta thing is in the 70s. It's not yeah. really that long ago and apparently the the implication is he's uh, basically he gets to have this casino because he's staked by the Kansas City mob and he's working with a guy who's developed this very sophisticated way of uh, skimming uh, off the casinos for the mob. Mm, very cool. Which, again, we're, we're very <laughs> much like the movie Casino again. Yeah. I mean, that is legit like that. Um, what's his name? Who? Uh, Nicholas Pelegi, right? Like, yeah, he yeah. apparently like, interviewed all these people, and this is the Argent Corporation. And I guess it's like of all the mafia things that have happened in Vegas, this is the one that was really documented. And the people, because this guy, Carl Thomas, right? Carl mm-hmm. Thomas yeah, was yeah. he he ratted on everybody, and all those people went to prison. So it's the one. Like, actually, there's a the Mob Museum in Vegas has a podcast where they with the Las Vegas Review Journal and they tell these mob stories. This is the one that they go really deep on because it's the one where you can't get sued for talking about it because it's like the oh. best established one. Like mm-hmm. they go way in detail. And um, but interestingly, like Carl Thomas ratted on every single person involved. Imagine this. Like it's the Chicago crime family, the Kansas City, the um two other cities, um, and the you know the people in in Vegas itself. But he wouldn't say he pled the fifth on the matter of Fertita. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but it sounds scary. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is, it's very intimidating. Um, and so and so his son is still the CEO of Station Casinos, which I guess is a chain. There's a bunch of yeah. them, but I went to the movies sure. at Texas Station last time I was in Vegas because I ran out of money the last day I was there. <laughs> was it nice? Uh no, it was not nice no. at all. They're yeah, they're yeah. pretty dingy, I would say. Uh they're off for the most part, they're sort of off even like so in downtown, I think it's Pal. It's not Palace, it's the other one. There's like Palace Station, there's like California Station, I think is the one that's like off of downtown. Even mm-hmm. like they're not even where like the nice casinos are. Um, but they're they just came out of bankruptcy and they're actually I think there are lawsuits about it because the the debtors were like, whoa, the now this is like the, the I think it's even one more generation down there. But they're basically like, yeah, these uh, these guys just trying to reuse the bankruptcy to get a bunch of debt and keep control. At a disadvantage to us, the investors. So yeah, I mean, everybody's it's, best. It's, yeah, it's very shady because they take the place private. They take the company private, 
um, you know, with just like a huge amount of debt assumed and they're bankrupt like two and a half years later and they owe all these people money. And well, isn't basically Tillman they just trying to do that with Caesars currently constantly, isn't he always trying to buy Caesars with his weird leverage debt money? Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> able to do it in his last attempt, but it's weird because he's incredibly leveraged with the Rockets too. Mm-hmm. Um he you know, he bought the team for 2.2 billion. I don't totally understand how it worked to sell bonds in the Rockets, but that's, you know, high-level banking stuff, but he basically bought a team for 2.2 billion by putting 300 million down. Yeah, that's a weird deal. And um, there's some Deutsche Bank money in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who also is a giant investor in uh, the station's casino corporation now. Oh, really? They own like 25% of it. And uh, eventually they went, they had another, I don't know how you have like a second IPO, but maybe you can do it after you've gone through bankruptcy. But they had an IPO about four years ago. So now you can actually... Uh, buy stock in the station's casino chain uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, which seems very questionable. And also, um, his uh, Frank Furtado III also owns uh, the the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Yeah, that right. was the next thing I which was going to bring up. Which, oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, I would say the beginnings of ultimate fighting it's more legitimate now but uh the beginnings of it it was like yeah of course you're in the mob you own uh uh you own casinos and boxing has gotten a little too clean so you've got to create another uh sport you can fix constantly <laughs> well and it used to be very underground and also a very uh very wharf friendly business yeah. <laughs> <laughs> war friendly it actually that's started, not a real word <laughs> it actually started out they would uh they would pay the seals to fight each other um <laughs> wait really no, 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 no. <laughs> sometimes i can't tell if i'm on a mob podcast or a comedy podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the reason, so the reason they were able to um, make a killing with UFC is that um, Lorenzo Fertitta used to be in the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and so until 2001, you couldn't get licensed for an Ultimate Fight in Nevada. But once uh, Fertitta basically used his connections, they suddenly got sanctioned, and it became so much more lucrative. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. wow! Because they could start doing pay-per-views and just, you know, they could have matches at casinos, which is the ideal for fights, I guess. So the, you know, the central question for me was like, why would this in a league that actually does have a lot of people lining up to pay two point two billion for the Rockets? Like, why would they pick this owner? Mm-hmm. Um, just seems such a weird choice. And I then I I do have it. I I actually. An earlier draft of the story had several paragraphs that I ended up deleting because it just seemed kind of weird. But um, but you know, here's my guess. I based on nothing. Um, two, this is 2017. In 2016, um, the NBA became really actively involved in you know the effort to legalize sports gambling in the U.S. Uh-huh. and 
I think in, two, so in 2017, they approve someone with good connections in that industry, right? And then in 2018, uh-huh. they get the Supreme Court ruling. And now they're really hoping to cash in and have like, you know, a big amount of income from legalized sports gambling in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe Tillman's whatever, I don't know exactly what he would be offering here, but his experience in the gambling world might actually be something that appeals to the other owners. Oh, yeah, boy. and I mean, especially if they ever want to start uh, d- doing expanding their efforts in Las Vegas, it's probably very nice to have connected people at the top levels of, you know, the athletic commissions. Is there any way yeah. we can I mean, get Jordan just, Belfort to own a team? Um. <laughs> Why not? Um. The Timberwolves of Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a weird old world, man. I mean, I just like basketball, and I was like, let me just like cover this sport <laughs> yeah. that I like. And next thing you know, I'm like, I'm learning about the craziest. Like, I've learned a lot about Deutsche Bank. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh-huh. why? Why do I have to know about Deutsche Bank to like basketball? Like, what's the deal? Like, but I feel like I'm cheating. Like, if I don't look into it, right? It's like we should know who runs the dang sport at some point. Right. Man. That's the weird thing to me. I mean, you probably don't actually want to talk about this very much, but I do think there's a certain strain in basketball reporting now where... Um, Total and complete horseshit? Is that what you were going to say? I was going to say, yeah, but I was going to say where access matters more than facts, so you kind of don't report stuff in fear of being able to tweet out a trade two days before it happens, maybe. I mean, I'm not pointing at someone specifically. I'm just saying uh, it seems to me that there are some, how do I put it, Uh, lines being blurred a little bit, but you don't have to say anything, Henry, because I'm sure you don't want to offend any of your friends. (laughs) No, I'm. This is a like, come on. I am clearly on one side of this. Like, I, <laughs> I am. It it makes me sick to be totally honest. Like, it's it's a it's an epidemic. It used to be like an annoyance, and now it's a little bit like Hollywood media, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. in Hollywood media, you basically need to go sit in George Clooney's house or whatever, and and if you can't, then you're garbage. And you right? have to and, talk about what he ate for lunch. It's like, yeah. oh, he had a salad with a shallot vinaigrette. <laughs> and it's, it's, the interior decoration is really cool, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but, uh, not too much. You know, it's tasteful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there's this, you know, Clooney, someone in the chain of getting to Clooney's living room, someone says, like, oh, hey, it's, of course you're not going to mention, like, blank, right? Then, boy, you have a hard choice to make there. Or maybe you don't have a hard choice. To make. But you say, oh, of course, right? So I've been in this situation a million times, and you have to you know there's now we're going to talk weird media theory crap but like i th- i have described this i used to be in charge of all the people at espn to come and cover the nba right and mm-hmm. i said look it's a three-party negotiation like it's you the source and the readers who are not in the room right mm-hmm. like so you have to you know you, to, you can't forget them right well let i think we're forgetting them yeah uh-huh <laughs> like, <laughs> We have a job to do there. And I like I wrote memos about this. Like I um it would be unethical if they leaked, but if somebody leaked them, I'd love that. Um but uh you know, yeah, I'm a hundred percent worried about this sports media industry. I don't I think I can make a case that as of twenty twenty, we don't really cover the league in the sense that like Thomas Jefferson talks about the role of the media in like, 
you know, being this important part of how things run. Like, I don't know if the league's really even covered that way. Like, Adam Silver's talked for 22 total minutes since the pandemic started and made all these decisions. And, like, like pretty much the media is just like, well, they said they got it. You know, they're good. Like, we're all we're all set. So we're good. I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to work. You know, we're, yeah. um, we're also in a golden age of journalism outside of sports where, you know, some of these things that are happening at the Atlantic or the New York Times are just incredible, I think. But um, we actually but this, have Ken Klippenstein coming on tomorrow to tell okay. us about FOIA requests. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to see if we can make a FOIA request to see if uh, that lottery was fixed. The uh, the famous frozen envelope. That's what we're literally talking to Ken for. We're trying to we're trying to figure out what could possibly expose an NBA conspiracy just via the magic of uh, the Freedom of Information Act. I did want to for um uh blanking on. I just I sent in like three or four for just like players from the first fifty years of the NBA, mm-hmm. and uh, ended up getting a ton of stuff back. That like they. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain had a huge FBI file. Of course That is not a surprise. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty boring, but they were definitely like keeping tabs on Wilt Chamberlain. Like, oh my gosh. They were like, actually, he only had sex with 9,000 women. Um, <laughs> <laughs> joke. <laughs> I think I may have dragged you off of your outline, though. I don't want to... No, no, like, you're good. To go- oh, no, 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 that's great. This yeah. is perfect. Uh, so the one... Things, Sean and I. So we used your other, uh, another one of your articles about billionaires being problematic. Uh, yeah. For oh, an, I wanted to. Oh, go yeah. ahead, Sean. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you want to ask, ask one more. Sorry, I just have one more Tillman question that yeah. I want to ask before we move on. Um, it's it seems crazy that this guy has been cash poor for so long. Um. And I, I don't totally understand how the vetting process works in the NBA. Obviously, I think that gambling uh, angle is legit. And maybe it's because he's been a minority owner of the Rockets for so long. But he was getting sued 30 years ago for, you know, being $10 million in debt. <laughs> uh, and now he uh, he still seems like he's in a giant amount of debt. And it. For whatever reason, there doesn't seem to be any pressure except among, you know, annoyed Rocket fans who want them to pay the luxury tax. Uh, it, do- it doesn't seem like a lot of people think that is a big problem. And hey, it feels off, like it's Sean, a pretty big problem. He's yeah. willing to pay the luxury tax. It's just an accident that they keep getting yeah, out of it. Yeah, they keep forgetting. They keep forgetting. Also, just... just just for be, be, I also want to mention that um, just for the times we're in right now, Tillman Fertitta was a Tiger King as well. He owned a bunch of white tigers. <laughs> that yeah. were like uh, I do want to ask a question about Fertittaville. There was a place called Fertittaville. <laughs> that's my question. <laughs> no, I think that's a, a youth. I don't think. I think they were just worried that Galveston was he was owning too much of okay. it. Okay, just making sure. I think sure. that's all. Yeah. I, but it is kind of <laughs> the description does seem like it's like Pottersville in It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> you know, just like lots of casinos, 
Did you see Vigilantes. somebody like when I when I tweeted out this story? Like one of those responses was like, "I went there and it was totally trashy." <laughs> like, <they> just, like, <laughs> just didn't like it. Like, like the, the eight, like F plus on the architecture was basically the review. But I respect that. Um, so to your point about he's you know been cash poor for a long time, it is a great question. Um, I have had a conversation with a guy who's a current investor in an NBA team, and he said to me that he thinks. The way the NBA rules are now, um, private ownership might be done. Meaning, like, well, the specific reason because the NBA has changed the rules um, to make it so that basically everyone has to be Steve Ballmer. The price will be super high, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which we just know. But then they, they want one clear majority owner who can actually pay for it without like, mm -hmm. pay cash for it. And there just aren't that many people left who have that kind right. of money. Well, and they um, refuse to, worth, to like, sell to Larry Ellison. So that for, yeah, what's that another about? one out. Why did they refuse that? I don't know. What's the deal I, there? I, well, he's a jerk, but I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who isn't a jerk? Exactly. Come on. Every a billionaire's jerk. a jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but somehow this guy who has like, as you said, he put in, is it 300 million? Is that what it was? Yeah. 300 million, yeah. Like that's and, and not borrowed, supposed to happen. Yeah. Especially when, when he was also borrowing almost 300 million from the guy he was buying the team from. <laughs> and just to be clear, like, like the reason this is supposed to be like this, right, is they want one clear decision maker. But if Tillman Fertitta owes somebody a billion dollars and they, and it's, secured by the rockets then like and this person could for all we know be you know off whatever whatever offshore money comes from right there's like deutsche yeah. bank who knows right like this th there are people out there who could conceivably pick up the phone and call tillman and tell him what to do which means the nba's board of governors is being influenced outside the room right mm -hmm. which is not what you want right so um, there are very good reasons this is the kind of stuff right i mean it's a different level of the game but this is why sally yates freaks out when um, she sees the transcripts of uh, Michael Flynn telling Ambassador Kislyak that like they'll relax the sanctions, blah blah blah. Like the reason is like now Flynn isn't representing the U.S. anymore because because the Russians know this happened and they can make him do stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so Tillman's like you know they don't want people in debt and they've had other structures like in Milwaukee there are or in Golden State, right? There are really two primary owners, right? Or in mm -hmm. Philadelphia. And that's the other way you'd get around the high price, but it's problematic, right? It's it's mm -hmm. it, it's this is a marriage well, that can go wrong. Right? I would argue, at least using Golden State, it would be less problematic because then there could only be one owner to shove a player during a finals game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Great I mean, point. I would also say that that it seems somewhat dangerous that. Uh, you've got so many guys from private equity firms, but a lot of guys that s just specialized in buying things that are undervalued and kind of loading them up with debt and stripping them of their assets. Like that also feels like not the mentality you want for a league owner necessarily. And that that's probably like six of the 30 owners have that background. It's like the Pistons, the Hawks, the Sixers. Uh, there's more, but yeah. Just, just it's an odd. I know they're rich enough. I know they're billionaires. But when you look at the things they buy, and that it's sort of like a, you know, Josh Harris is a master of buying junk bonds and then basically taking companies into bankruptcy and bringing them out and making them a little more valuable. 
But that seems not ideal that the guy's really good at navigating bankruptcy, Mm -hmm. you know? Or, like, stripping things for parts to sell for money. Right. That's the opposite as a fan of what you'd want your owner to do to your basketball team. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although, like, how much is it worth? Like, so let's say that you're, you're, you know, Davis Turner in that case. And you're like, yeah, that's a little worrisome. But they're paying, like, 30% more, 40%. At some point, you're like, okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Well, and you're and you're helping the guy who's already in the club exit, you know, in right. the owner's club. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting how many owners are associated. Speaking of private equity uh, that are associated with Michael Milken's old firm. Oh, like I the, love that you're bringing this up. This is like yeah. my favorite topic right here. This yeah. is like I was I was shocked when we were looking into it. So we were inspired we did an episode, very, very speculative, not serious at all, mm-hmm. just speculating what owners hypothetically might have flown on a plane with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> not a plane, the plane. The plane, the yeah. plane. Uh, but, and, again, and again, just allegedly, speculatively, we're, we don't know anything mm-hmm. about it. But um, a lot of people that are now NBA owners are affiliated with, well, well, a lot of them directly work for the the this firm Apollo Global Management, but all of these people came out of uh, this firm called Drexel Burnham Lambert, which you would know, which is famous for uh, junk bond bond king Michael Milken, mm-hmm. uh, who I've delivered you know, Chinese committing- food to. Weirdly, uh, Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, to what his did he house. order? <laughs> uh, it was like a standard, your standard, like. You know, Americanized Chinese food. It's like uh, that doesn't sound like maca milken at all. I think <laughs> you at the wrong house. Like that sounds completely wrong. Uh, I mean, I think it was for the help. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I think it was for the security uh, uh, guard being outside. But it was Michael Milken's house in Beverly Hills. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say second worst person I've ever delivered Chinese food to. The first, Ooh. of course, being Gene Simmons from Kiss. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so so Michael Milken's whole thing was was basically figuring out uh, a way to do security fraud, securities fraud on a very uh, massive scale in the late '80s, and um, their old firm, Drexel Burnham Lambert, ended up uh, just dissolving basically in the wake of uh, I think it I think it had to do with the massive fines they got, but it doesn't seem like it really affected any of the other people that were like no one's been tainted by their association which to me is also weird Mm -hmm. but maybe a lot of people on wall street kind of don't really think michael milken did anything wrong that is that's what i assume because he seems to be to have not had trouble uh coming back into society and he's like on baseball telecasts all the time with his cancer charity uh but yeah the um so yeah, d- basically, guys from Drexel Burnham started Apollo Global Management, which is where Josh Harris works, um, and then uh, the Hawks owner Anthony Ressler was also a Drexel Burnham guy who co-founded Apollo with uh, this guy named Leon Black, who's married to Wrestler's uh, sister, and this guy was specifically known as Michael Milken's right hand man. 
Well, wasn't uh, Leon Black also specifically known for being Jeffrey Epstein's best friend? He was he was working with Jeffrey Epstein until at least 2015. He donated $10 million to some Epstein Foundation then. And it seems like they were basically continuing to communicate. And the the firm denies that they did anything but listen to his tax strategy recommendations mm-hmm. but it's pretty shady also the crazy leon leon black has a crazy background um his father used to run the united fruit company when it was called united brands joey do you know anything about the united I, fruit company? i do not henry do you yeah oh i yeah. love this topic yeah, so <laughs> just keep talking though so you can get sued not yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> there's there there's just like a litany of crazy stories about um uh, like, like, uh, just mistreating, uh, banana farmers basically in Central America. There's oh, part oh, of okay. it. Wait, can I tell this part? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's about this. So, like, legit, yeah. no question, well documented. Like, the CIA did a lot of things through United Fruit. Yes, um, yes. Well, and- it sounds like a CIA fake company name. So, you know, <laughs> just like the laziest possible yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, United Fruit. It's a fruit company. Who cares? Uh-huh. But yeah, they were basically like using the power of business. They basically did like overthrow governments in Central America. Right. And, and they absolutely did. Yeah. And and like I think I'm like a tremendous number of people who worked in the White House had like previously worked at United Fruit and this kind of uh-huh. stuff. Um, I think it's uh and then my understanding is that Eli Black, Leon Black's dad, like was a clever investor and bought this big company thinking, you know, from whoever ran it when it was really active to say he took it over uh-huh. and found it to be not what it seemed to be, um, found it to be not as successful as he thought it was and was starting to feel the pinch of the financial decisions he'd made and then leapt out of a window that some people think he couldn't have possibly broken with his briefcase, which is a story of what he did. But anyway, so yeah, something yeah. happened. He had a yeah. unfortunate jumping out of like the 40th story window of the Pan Am building in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's apparently the inspiration for that scene in Hudson. I was Rocks. just going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so he, yes, the company was worth way less than it seemed to, possibly because, I don't know, it was being used as kind of a CIA front. That that seems plausible. But also, um, uh, he got caught bribing uh, some government official in Honduras, like uh, some... I think it was like 1.25 million. So it was either the worthlessness of the company or the impending federal investigation. So this is, I mean, it's it, again, it's so weird to me that people just sort of like, well, you know, I guess his, his, his dad, his dad had a rough day and like, like that it, I don't know that, that this guy is again, a very trusted financial guy, despite all of these, very questionable associations with people like famous criminals. Mm-hmm. Well, and they, um, you know, and not to get too crazy, but the Russia direct investment fund, right? So this is the Kirill Dmitriev, um, who's the guy who was at the secret meeting in the Seychelles with Eric Prince, right? Oh, so, right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, Kirill Dmitriev went to like Stanford business school. He's a really brilliant guy, but he's like, you know, like a tightly affiliated with the Kremlin 
guy. He he forms this Russia Direct Investment Fund. The idea is to kind of like make a lot of Putin affiliated investments that are like respectable and above board, and they end up kind of putting together this international panel of superstar investors. And it's uh, one of them is Leon Black. Um, another one, I think I'm right in saying is so Leon Black. Sorry, is the boss co-founder of one of the 76ers um, current owners, mm-hmm. right? And the yeah. other boss is Steven Schwartzman, who's also yes. on the Russian Direct Investment Fund, right? So, oh my God, yeah. Um, so that's, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know what to make of that, but the, and I'll tell you one other thing is uh, when Apollo was formed, well, so when um, Drexel and Lambert um, got it, it's the only, um, I, at that time, I think maybe still, it's the only Wall Street like bank that's ever gone out of business. And yeah, it's and like Michael Milken went Solomon to prison. Brothers, basically. Oh, okay, Solomon, yeah, right. So, um, so, um, and then the people were cast adrift. They, they, they're very talented. They had done, you know, Michael Milken is a genius and did figure out a bunch of stuff. And they had a sort of a, a system going right where they would like one guy was raising a bond issue and they would get the rest of the posse to invest in it and they'd overinvest. So they have kind of too much money. Then they get you invest in the next one and on and on and on. And, um, through very clever methods and super hard work and everything. But, um, but they were now seen as pariahs for a little while, but Leon black was unique in that he had better connections. Um, mm-hmm. and somehow quickly was able to raise a bunch of money for, what's now Apollo global and was then Apollo global too. Um, and that was like the key thing. And so the ones who were on the Apollo train now have risen to this, like Apollo is just a behemoth now. Yeah. So I think that was like the key moment. Like where did this money come from? Right. And then, then mm-hmm. these people who were, it seems like there was a, there was a moment there where the key skill on wall street became raising vast amounts of money from not the traditional sources. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's so also, while we were doing this connecting, uh, besides Apollo, and uh, so that's the Hawks and the Sixers, right, Sean? Um, we also... Yes. Uh, well, well, actually, I oh, want to mention sure. the other Sixers owner just real quickly. Um, he's also affiliated with West Edens from the Box. He has a He has a very similar company called the Blackstone Group, and it's like a lit... It's so... It, his portfolio is like a who's who of bad companies. So they own SeaWorld. So they're, 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 uh, dolphin abusers. Um, they own motel six, which just got fined $20 million for giving ice, uh, guess their guest list without any warrants. Uh, they're giant Trump donors. They own multiple companies in Brazil that have been actively burning down, uh, portions of the rainforest mm-hmm. and uh they also bought the mortgage to the world trade center uh like 10 months before 9-11 so it's just like every possible conspiracy theory the blackstone group is involved in and it also it they're called like the blackstone group group which is yeah. like that's who is like uh Trying to murder Jason, Jason Bourne. Bourne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so and so Wes Edens is from uh, a firm called Black Rock. Oh, which you mean is Wes separate. Edens from the Sex Dungeon lawsuit? From the Sex That's Dungeon lawsuit. That's how I know lawsuit. him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so his firm um, got 50% of their startup from Blackstone. So it's it's all it's a lot of guys who are really connected to each other, too. 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, um, uh, for sure. I totally agree. And I think you could probably find, if you put them on a map, right? Like mm-hmm. you'd find that they're in the same place at the same time. A lot of MBA, a lot of these people who run this small group of firms and many of them have overlapping business interests with Trump. Well, mm-hmm. then also, and a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them are from Wharton. So yeah. it makes a lot of them are from Wharton. A lot of them. Yep. Uh, and then also, don't yeah. forget, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, Maxwell was on Paul Allen's boat. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Oh, my God. Oh, my, God. <laughs> um, my favorite uh, of these shady owners is Gail Benson. Uh, because her crimes are low level, or, uh, quote unquote, alleged cl- crimes are so much lower level than these guys, but they're still bad. <laughs> Uh, so Gail Benson, the owner of the Saints, uh, was involved in 20 civil lawsuits over a 13-year period starting in 1987 for her uh, home renovation business. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, at one point she was arrested and charged with theft of furniture from a client. <laughs> She had both state and federal tax liens against her business for failure to pay taxes. Uh, and then also in 89, Gilbert Interiors, uh, was, uh, <laughs> the, her, the employees filed lawsuits against her because she refused to pay them and, uh, was settled out of court. Um, and also Tom Benson's personal assistant sued her for being a racist against him. He was an African-American mm-hmm. man, uh, and, uh. Sure, it's not junk bond sales in Jeffrey Epstein, but uh, even the uh, widow of a rich man is not necessarily a very good person. Uh, is all. What, I do you, what happened with the lawsuit? The racism. Uh, they settled out know? of court. Okay. Wow, That's but true. Anthony Davis is the jerk, right? Because he wanted to go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's just a good testament that you don't actually have to have a rich father to commit terrible crimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can you can build yourself up into those felonies by your bootstraps. Okay, actually yeah. I have that wrong. So an NFL, you know, very the the you know, uh who are cleaner than the courts. You know, the NFL, they should be definitely be arbitrating laws and racism lawsuits. Uh For sure. Ruled in favor of Henry against the Saints on the labor complaint and gave him overtime pay and a contractual payout for his dismissal and attorney's fees, but against Henry on the claims of racism, which I'm sure had nothing to do with the fact that maybe that would taint an NFL owner. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's a good one. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, billionaires. What about, are what about weird. the what about the Kushner family? Oh, well, what about the Kushner family? <laughs> they own part of the Grizzlies. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, and uh, they're they're. Uh, I mean, they might be some of the most aggressive slumlords in America. Yeah, and you and know about the whole diner thing, right? I don't think I do. I don't think I do oh, either. So <laughs> this is one of the great stories. Um, so. There, like, I, something was happening where, like, Chris Christie, as U.S. attorney in New Jersey, was investigating some Kushner family business, and there was the suggestion that maybe um, some members of the family were participating or helping him along, and there was a lot of anxiety about this. And at some point, 
somebody wants to deliver a message to somebody and anyway like a uh charles kushner jared kushner's dad ended up going to prison for this but what he the thing he did was um arranged for a prostitute to show up at the diner that his i, I forget someone one of his relatives oh. at this diner had a prostitute meet him and then eventually she after she lured him into a nearby motel where there were hidden cameras and then he delivered the video of that to his, that man's wife, who I think it was Charles Kushner's sister and, um, in kind of a blackmail effort that, Oh yeah. To try to get him not to testify. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and the great thing is I also, the, it's called the time to eat diner, which is such a <laughs> wholesome name. <laughs> it's right near where I live. To be honest, I've driven by the time to eat diner a thousand times. It looks kind of good, I have to say. I've never been in, to be honest. My wife went to a meeting there once, and I was like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> it feels like it's like eating at the restaurant Rick Pitino had his affair in. You know oh. what I mean? Where it just like it doesn't matter how good the food is. Oh, yeah. Um, Basketball has so many sordid characters. Oh, my God. What well, the hell? And then we also, of course, have not mentioned uh, the war criminals, the DeVosses. We don't even need to really get into that, but... Uh, it's so elaborate yeah. that, <laughs> that like, even their primary like legit business is super shady. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Amway is one of just the... Fun, like, the fundamentals of the company. The upfront parts of the co- company are yeah. terrible. Amway is and both there's somehow also, a cult and a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Clever. And then it's like, yeah, private mercenary force. Why not? Uh <laughs> diverting public education money to uh private schools. Um and just they they appear to be just loathed in the state of Michigan at this point, and yet are still just giant donors. Mm-hmm. So Well they've been funding some of these uh you know people with guns hanging around state capitals, right? Like they've funded yes. some of the protests. Absolutely crazy. And I don't, this is a fun little, like riddle me this, but um, when Eric Prince uh, testified in before, I think a house committee, house intelligence committee, um, you can read the transcripts. I mean, ah, I take it back. It wasn't a house. It was a Senate. Anyway, um, you can, he has testified in a way in te- several times in this sort of whole Trump Mueller, et cetera. But, um, some of them you can read online, and there's a part where they say, look, you need to turn over all of the communications you have with Russians. And he says, okay. Now, he's a, as you notice, he's, you know, he's, he's known as like a guy who travels with arms and all sorts of nefarious military things. And, um, and he turns over 20-odd emails with the then – like high-ranking executive of the Brooklyn Nets, Christoph mm-hmm. Charlier. Oh. <laughs> Who's not actually Russian. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but he did have a, a, a board seat on Rusal, which was kind of like Prokhorov had owned part of Rusal at that time and had a board seat and Christoph held his position or whatever. But, um, but yeah, so to Eric Prince, this was the Russian that he knew. It was like another NBA guy. So this is like an NBA, it's NBA on both sides of this deal. Mm-hmm. And then Russell ended up being involved in, you know, well, we don't have time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think that's the perfect uh, place to end our uh, segment here. Henry. Killed it. Thank you so much for coming on. Everyone yeah, subscribe awesome. to TrueHoop.com. 
Is there anything else you would like to plug? Oh, like 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 a like a brand of underwear I really yeah, enjoy. Yeah, whatever you want to do. It's all it's totally up to you. We're comedians, so it's all about plugs, you know, at the end yeah, of the plugs show. Plugs are great. Yeah. Oh, I wish I were ready to really yeah. Oh, okay. 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 I got one. So, um do you guys know who David Epstein is? No. David Epstein, he's the he's <laughs> absolutely brilliant. He's the author of uh Range, a recent bestseller and um, his earlier book was The Sports Gene. He's literally one well, of those. Well, I did books. read The Sports Gene. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the first plug, but it's a Russian Nestengala plugs because I, I know David personally, and we run together sometimes. And it, and he's he's very level headed, brilliant guy. But he gets he loses his mind, loses his mind for Task Performance Wear T A S C. I am not getting paid for this, but he's like, <laughs> this is like you get. You can get really sweaty in it and you don't smell bad. So if you go for a run and then you have to duck into the store or whatever, you're not going to offend anybody. And he was selling me, it's made in New Orleans out of some weird, like, I think it's made of bamboo and something else. And so he gave me the hard sell. And eventually I bought like a shirt and true enough, amazing. And then for Father's Day, I got a pair of shorts. And now I'm like, this is what I want to plug. Yeah, I don't know. It's made out of the future. I don't know what the fabric is, but it's extremely comfortable and it just doesn't stink. So how about that? There's a plug. It's a great That's plug. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Sean. Oh, I feel like a real podcast because we did that. Yeah, I feel good. That's perfect. Thanks so much for having uh, for coming on, Henry. We'll have <laughs> yeah, you on anytime you want to talk yeah, uh, about anything. Come, Just let us know. You, the, our door is open for uh, old True Hoop Henry. Thanks a lot. Wait, wait till I do 90 minutes on performance wear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get to the bottom of Sweatwick <laughs> technology next week. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you guys. Thanks, Henry. Take care. That was Henry, and that was Tillman Time, and that's our show. Sean, mm-hmm. anything you want to plug? Uh, any I've lifestyle a... brands? <laughs> any um... lifestyle brands? Uh, I personally work out uh, wearing some basketball shorts that I bought from Ross Dress for Less in San Francisco, Something like 15 years ago. Uh, they're not attractive, but have they fallen apart once? No. I've gotten so much use out of these $9 basketball shorts. Um, uh, and also I have an article. Uh, I'll have a thing on Yard. I have a thing on Yard Barker. Uh, a what if about um, if the Clippers had not traded the number one pick that became Kyrie Irving. And then later this week, I'm going to have a piece about the weirdest deferred money contracts and sports in honor of Bobby Bonilla Day. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, and then as for me, uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Frankie Muniz, where I haven't tweeted in quite a while. And frankly, it's making me nervous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... On uh, May 25th, or uh, on May 25th, I tweeted, it's going to be 112 degrees on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, I almost forgot. Sean, did you write a song tonight? Yeah, this is this is the first time I can't believe it's taken this long. I wrote a song about um, my other favorite NBA writer besides Henry Abbott. Uh, Brian, well, not writer, but but NBA expert. Yeah, it's about Brian Windhorst. um, (laughs) And it's called aggregate. Great. Uh, Trust the process. Trust the process. And uh, shut it down. Let's go to Fertitaville with the Maceo family. Yeah, (laughs) horse.
was a trade deadline. Shams in the panic room. Wendy was on the set trying to pursue some news on the deals so I can get some scoops. Never will reveal the J.R. Smith soup. Just watch Kenny and Chuck on TNT on a mission trying to find Mr. Wendy B. About to drink one third of an MGD. Zelo's great in sources anonymity. So I grabbed my phone while Rachel was debating. I hit the wrong button and it started updating. I look at the screen, said 4% done. I turned to Bond Temps and said, damn, I'm sunk. Trying to think of 10 more things that I think I like. Wendy's bone is crashing like Jay Williams on a bike, on to bigger, better things than court design. Get my own Blackberry and put it online. I'm getting scooped, I'm losing to Chris Haynes, I'm disappearing. Just like David Blaine, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my shoe deal. I'll look up and Woj says they're trading Bradley Beal. They got Wendy freezing up and Paul Pierce is around. Gonna jump in there and bust like Kwame Brown. Drop an analytic knowledge about team rebound. And I fell asleep trying to watch Black Hawk down. They got sources with sources, the trade is going down. It don't make sense, the cap is going down. To Omaha, I'll fly, it's a panic attack. They look to the wings and I see my homie Zach. Salaries don't match, don't have the cap space. CBA rules about to put egg on Woj's faith. Joe Harris texted me he's gonna sign for A. Zelo and Windy B are gonna aggregate. Funny story, when Jerome James hit me in the face with a basketball, Michael McDonald helped me up. I took him to the low post, I let my notebook explode. Now I'm switching my mind back into beer mode. Everyone on the jump knows they got wrecked. So I grab a German beer, I say, what up, X? Now Zach grabbed a beer, he'll only drink half. But before my home died, I had news about Shaq. Shut up, shut up, do not blog. Don't want you to quote me, ain't heard it from Wendy. Forget what you heard, I'm still a stat nerd. But I love watching film the most. It's how I spend my time when I'm on the Croatian coast. Thinking about Luke Walton all stars, I thought, ooh, I'm changing that name. Because he got me too, and he don't coach good, it's just not the same. I got a belly full of hops, and I'm away from my spouse. The next stop is Kevin Arnowitz's house. Zach, you know what I keep forgetting? How delicious a sun-basket meal can be, cooked in your own home. And deliver it right to your house. I'm tweeting, but only cause they make me Don't understand a single Drake meme Makes me feel like I have a brain tumor A rumor is a fact, and a fact is a rumor Quotes, facts, reacts, commentary Where truth is checked, and blue checks give truth If you don't like CeeLo, you don't want to step to this it's the Low Post Era, podcasting about Luka Doncic. And if you drink like I drink, then there's Sam Adams in the fridge. And if your wife is Croatian, then never talk about your kids.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.